welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm David Mackay and joining me today, he's the editor of Football Scotland, he listens to the Hamilton soundtrack in his car, it's Johnny McFarlane. Yes, it's just my one shot this. On the pod today, we'll be discussing Neil Lennon's press conference, Alfredo Morelos being omitted from the Columbia squad and what Scottish football can learn from Italy. Okay, so... Neil Lennon spoke in his press conference today, and it's fair to say he was quite chippy. Uh, He's supposed to be the man who gets Celtic, that's the whole thing about Neil Lennon, he's a big Celtic man, and he said, I think there's this new breed of supporters here or elsewhere, since 20 years ago, the only thing they've seen is success. They don't remember the 1990s, the older generation do. That comes from immaturity, from their point of view. Johnny, just what is he talking about? Well, I think there is a generational divide in Scottish football. People under... 38, 39, maybe under 40, or were lucky enough to grow up um, as part of a generation that had access to things like Football Italia. Um, I certainly remember back in those days when there wasn't a lot of uh, football from other climbs on, and that was a stunning realisation for me that there was football in other parts of the world that was fantastic and it was romantic. And uh, that was the first element of it, and you see that in the sort of nostalgia for that programme. Uh, and in the generation that followed it, we saw TV companies in the UK getting much, much more interested in putting on football from other countries like Spain, uh, Italy, of course, Germany. And slowly but steadily, I think there's been an improvement and uh, more interest in those leagues as time has gone on. And now I think the younger generation are highly educated a lot of the time about football and want to hear their football discussed in a slightly different way. And I think sometimes in an older generation that, that they find that frustrating because they think it's a little bit intellectual, a little bit pretentious. And I think the younger generation find the way that the older generation want to talk about the game quite frustrating. So I do think there is definitely a divide there. And uh, I think Neil Lennon's just reflecting it. He's part of that maybe slightly older generation who looks upon, upon them as maybe football hipsters, um, and, and finds it a little bit uh, frustrating. I can understand why, to be honest, uh, because Lennon, I mean, what more could he really have done, Gaby? Well, do you not think he's been slightly dismissive of the concerns Celtic fans have? I mean, they've just lost a game to their biggest rivals. They've had some good results since he came in, but the play hasn't been great. They've got the League Cup, uh, not the Scottish Cup final, sorry, coming up to try and secure a treble treble and he's basically saying you know this is as good as it gets get used to it when he's supposed to be the guy who gets what Celtic's all about and surely what Celtic's all about is winning everything going yeah I feel slightly sorry for him I do take that point on board but I I do feel slightly sorry for him because I do think it's a poison chalice taking over from Brendan Rodgers it's not quite as bad as what David Moyes had to do when he took over from Alex Ferguson but in, a, in context within Scottish football, Brendan Rodgers winning seven trophies in a row, having no periods of, of, uh, of failure at all in his time in Celtic and being so dominant over Rangers during that period up until his final uh, Old Firm game, where obviously they lost to Rangers. But, but even then, you would have to say the Rodgers period is just unblemished success. To come and follow that, especially with the quality of football that Brendan Rodgers was delivering a lot of the time, I think is a really, really difficult task. And Lennon had to take over that team. No transfer window. All his, all that he had to do in terms of his remit was keep it ticking over and take it to the title. He doesn't have the opportunity to change it up. He, he doesn't have 
the scope to really do anything but just try and push them to the to the end. Um, and you know, like he's taken them to the title, comfortably won the title. They're in the Scottish Cup final. They've gone through some difficult rounds to get there. They had to play Easter Road. They had to play against Aberdeen. So they've not had it easy. So I can understand as well Lennon's point of view, which is I've done the job that's been asked of me and more. But but I do think it's fair enough for the for the Celtic fans to say, well, we want someone akin to Brendan Rodgers. Ro- Celtic have raised the bar with Brendan Rodgers' appointment and they're perfectly entitled, the Celtic fans, to say, well, we don't want to see that level of quality diminished. We're paying the same money. Why, why would we accept that? And I think that's fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously, Lennon knew the situation. He knows the club well. He knew the situation when he took over. So is it not a bit net for him now to be sort of saying about a negative atmosphere at the club? Well, he, he knew what he was walking into. It's not. He's an experienced manager. He's very experienced at Celtic. So he knows what the pressure's going to be. And do you think maybe the pressure's getting to him? I think Neil Lennon's a, a very experienced manager who has been through a lot and he'll draw on that experience. I don't think the pressure is getting to him. I think he's probably just had a bad day today. He seemed quite tetchy in the yeah, press conference. Yeah. Uh, I think you described him as chippy and I think that's that's fair. Um, he seemed to be very perturbed um, by a comment made in a column. I don't know whose column it was, um, where someone had written that, right, that Celtic had, had limped over the line, I think was the quote. that he, he, he But he kept on coming back to that about people in the media spinning things and that he felt that Celtic hadn't limped over the line or hadn't struggled over the line, that they'd been pretty dominant. And I can understand where he's coming from with that because if Celtic win that game against Rangers, then everything's rosy in the garden. Even if it was a draw, you know, they've, they've comfortably got home. And uh, I think there needs to be a level of realism as well that Rangers, as I said in the podcast, I think yesterday or the day before, are never going to continue to be as bad as they've been. And that there's always going to end up being a resurgent Rangers or Rangers that can challenge Celtic to some extent. And that's what we've seen this season under Steven Gerrard. And to think that this complete domination of Rangers was going to continue ad, ad infinitum was was unrealistic. Um, but I think there's a few Celtic fans that have, have sort of gone down the garden path of believing that because it's been such a prolonged period of dominance. And they also do have a huge financial advantage over Rangers, who obviously Rangers in turn have a huge financial advantage over everyone else. But you can understand, looking at it from a purely financial point of view, why Celtic fans would expect that to continue. Yeah, but money's not everything in football. And Celtic have also wasted a lot of money on poor recruitment. Um, We could start going into the detail of all the players that they've spent money on that just haven't really worked out. And sometimes I think we can be a bit unfair uh, as journalists looking at that because the market that Rangers and Celtic are operating in they have to take a lot of gambles so well, the other 10 clubs oh yeah of, of course of course but it's, everything's in context I mean people talk about well if Celtic could go out and spend 15 million that would give them a much better chance in the Champions League but the truth is that 15 million pounds doesn't <laughs> if you spent 100 million like Fulham did in the Premier League it's um, peeing against the wind. But we're talking domestically here. And, you know, studies will show, the stats will show that usually the team with the biggest transfer budget and the biggest wage budget wins the league. That's Celtic by far. So it's not unreasonable for Celtic fans to expect them to win everything because they should, because they have the most money. And maybe they will win everything again this season. But for Rangers to be getting closer to them, to be challenging them, you can understand why Celtic fans are perturbed by that, given the advantage they've had since 2012. Yes, you can, and the the gap has closed somewhat. Um, but given that uh, Rangers still have a big budget gap, which you've already alluded to, to the other clubs, 
essentially what Rangers had to focus on was becoming a team that was capable of beating the other clubs and they've done that much more effectively this season than they have in previous ones and and they've also managed into the bargain to have a decent record in the big games against Celtic you know um, they've won the two home games Celtic have won the two away games and that's Rangers best record I think since 2011 um, that I think is the key issue for Celtic fans um, because obviously throughout the course of the season um, they don't have such a financial advantage that they can just obliterate all the other teams. I mean, you look at the advantage that uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona have in Spain, it's probably even more pronounced in some ways. And uh, they don't obliterate every single team in every single game because, you know, you have ups and downs in forms. In form, football is a funny game and things can happen. Um, but I, th- I think there's a, there's a level of, of, of realism that needs to take place in terms of... Uh, that there's going to be more of a challenge for Celtic. And Celtic may still continue to win titles, um, but I just don't think they'll have it quite as easy as they have had over what has been a fairly unusual period in Scottish football when you look at Rangers being not there, Hearts not being there for a period, Hibs not being there for a period. It's big clubs that Celtic haven't necessarily had on the scene for the whole time that they've won these last eight trophies. So I think that does that does play into it. Scottish football is now back on its feet financially much more, and I think you're starting to see that in the level of competition just generally. And speaking of Rangers closing the gap, a big part of that this season, for good and for ill, has been Alfredo Morelos, and it was uh, confirmed today that he will not be in the Colombia squad for the Copa America. Now, you wrote a really interesting piece for the website about you think this might actually be a good thing for his career. Could you just uh, explain that to us? Yeah, I just think that Alfredo Morelos has clearly shown over the course of the season that he's not really been able to control his temper. Um, I mean, he's been unlucky on a couple of occasions, in my view, with uh, with uh, red cards. But also, um, every single one of them, you would say, uh, they're more petulant or silly or, or daft than, than actually malicious. He's not really been sent off for anything. You would go, well, well that's an absolute stonewall red. He's gone out to do him there. It's all been stuff, you know, like little flicks, little kicks, little nips, um, little um, arm in the, in the chest, things like that. And um, he's not learned. And I think Stephen Gerrard has looked at the situation and he's gone back to his experience with another tempestuous South American and uh, Luis Suarez and how, how they handled him. And he's aware that Morelos is a key player to the team and he's tried to adopt a, a softly, softly approach. And I think he would even admit now, in my view, that, that perhaps that he let that go on for a little bit too long. Uh, and the, the result against Celtic uh, at Parkhead, where he was sent off, I think, after 29 minutes for lashing out at Scott Brown after Brown sort of wound, wound him up with a wee flick at his ankles. I think that was the, the end point for Steven Gerrard in terms of uh, putting up with it anymore. And, and he said that publicly after the game, he can't def- I can't defend him anymore. Um, and uh, I think that the fact that he's been out of the team and now Gerard isn't put him st- hasn't put him straight back in. Jeremy Defoe's performed really well, and he's he's had to sort of come on in the last ten minutes in the last game as a substitute, which is new for him at Rangers. And the fact that he's now missed out on this forty-man provisional um, squad for the Copa America, which is quite something given he was in the last twenty-three. Um, that went away, I think, for games against South Korea and uh, I can't remember the other team. Um, but it was the last international gathering, the first under uh, Colombian coach, uh, new, Colombia's new coach, Carlos Queros. I think that suggests to you that this is now having a major impact on his career. He's talked at length about how much it means to him to play for Colombia. And uh, I think it'll be a real wake-up call. I'll hope that he goes away in the summer 
and reflects on his season and reflects on why he's in this situation. And I think if he does that, he'll realise that he needs to needs to work on this temperament issue. He obviously was in the last squad, though, but is there not possibly an argument to be said that he just isn't quite good enough to get into that squad? When you look at the other strikers that are in it, you've got Carlos Baca, Falcao, Duvan Zapata, Luis Muriel. I mean, Zapata, just for one, scored 22 goals and got seven assists in Serie A this season. Is Alfredo Morelos a better player than those players that are in the squad? Well, Kimi, you know Italian football more than me. I mean, what, you've seen a lot of Zapata. What, what, what do you reckon? Well, I, I think I think he's a more I think he's a better all round player than Morelos is, and he doesn't have the same disciplinary issues. But I think there's a sort of danger, and we all do it, that when you watch a player in your own league, then you maybe it's like to an extent overrate them. Yeah. And I think a lot of the surprise about Morelos not being in the squad, you know, I'll just give you the list. There's a lot of good strikers in that squad. Obviously, his disciplinary issues won't have helped him, but there's an argument to be said. Well, is he would he be in that squad ahead of those players anyway? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I saw a bit of Carlos Baca when he was at AC Milan, and uh, I think it was it was at Seville before that, and he looked like a very, very good player. Uh, and then Villarreal this season when he scored that terrific goal against Rangers. So I know he's a good player. Falcao, I don't need to go into detail yeah, about that. Himself. Everybody knows that that speaks for itself. And although he had his troubles when he came over to England, uh, he's certainly back on form uh, and has been banging in the goals uh, in the French League. So. <sighs> It's very difficult for a player like uh, Morelos to bed down in a team with such experienced players. But to me, it looked like they were bringing him in as the future of that that um, that squad, the, the striker for the future, because a lot of these guys are now in their late thirties. Baca and um, uh, okay. Falcao, uh, in particular, are, are getting on a little bit. So I thought maybe Quiroz was thinking, well, we'll have these experienced guys who are going to start the games, but Morelos can come in. The one thing I would say is if you look at the stats from the game against South Korea, you had I think there was two games. In the first game, he got three minutes at the end uh, to make his debut. In the second game, he started, but he was substituted at half-time. So perhaps there's more to this than actually just a disciplinary. Perhaps Queros wasn't impressed with his performance in that game, and perhaps that's the reason why he's not there. But this disciplinary issue is not going to have helped him. The fact he's played no football. No, absolutely not. And also something that may not have helped him, something I think he possibly alluded to, he's come out in an interview that was uh, reported today that he says he dreams of playing in a more competitive league. He spoke about Spain and England and said he would also play in France or Italy. Do you think that's a sign that he has already decided that he's going to be moving on in the summer? Well, I'm a little bit surprised that the mood, the mood music, the general mood music around Rangers seems to be that an, an acceptance that uh, Morelos will be moving on in the summer. And the reason I'm surprised is because he had a three-year deal and they just extended it to make it four years. And I'm talking about now, at the end of the seasons. Uh, Morelos has got four years left. And when he signed that extra year, I thought, well, clearly he's going to stay on for another year. Gerard wants to get him fit and ready for one more year. And the reason that they've given him this contract is to give him a king's ransom, keep him around, keep him happy for one more year. And then at the end of next season... He's still got three years and therefore still got a, a big transfer fee in him. Um, but the mood, the mood music does seem to be that he's going to go. I don't know then the reason for that extension because to me, whether you have three years left on your contract or four years left on your contract, you're you're tied up and it's going to be a big fee required. I, I don't see that how that extra year adds really much to his value. I mean, especially if you look at the kind of values they're talking about for players with 
only one year left on their contract down in England. Now, these are elite players, players like Eden Hazard, but it's not about 100 million for Eden Hazard, it's one year. So I think that concept of the contract and how long it's got to go, it used to mean that you were paying significantly less. I don't think it means that so much now. And you've seen that more and more with the kind of transfer fees for players with one and two years. Yeah, it possibly means that more for players in Scotland, though, because it is a a lower level than the top five Mm. European leagues and clubs aren't going to pay those huge fees for a player who has done really well in Scotland, but there's no uh, guarantee that that can be replicated elsewhere. Yeah, well, I think personally, I think he'd be an excellent purchase for someone in a league like Italy or Spain where his physicality will make a real, real difference um, and will make him unusual in those leagues for the kind of player that he is. I mean, of course, there's there's physical players in Italy and and physical players in Spain, but I think it's his combination of technical ability, um, work rate and physicality that sets him apart. And at 22, I think there's a lot of movement for him to become a very, very fine player indeed. And personally, how much more can he develop in Scotland? I think it wouldn't do him any harm to do another year. I think get his disciplinary situation sorted, um, get his head down, get focused. I think he can easily score 40 goals next season and then perhaps even get a better move. Um, But you don't know if Rangers fancy looking at this and saying to themselves, we can sell Morelos for, say, 15 million and fund the rest of the squad, um, the development they want to do on that. Okay, moving on. Just then. just before we do, Gaby, I just wanted to bring up your uh, travels because Gaby has uh, written a piece for Football Scotland today that's gone out live uh, about his journey to Italy. He went to a number of games uh, across the country. I think it was five or 600 miles he travelled. The mad... I think it was a little bit more than that, actually. Yeah. But there you go, yeah. Um, so, what, I mean, the, the piece obviously details your experience, Gaby. You've been a a fan going to Scottish football games for probably as long as you can remember. Um, how different is the culture of fandom over there to what it is here? Uh, I think I think it's a lot different in that the the match day experience certainly is more it's more of an event. You know, I think here, you know, you go to the game ten minutes before kick off, you go to your seat, you leave straight after kick off. Whereas what I noticed at the games in Italy is the stadium really does start filling up a good hour and a half before the game, you know, people stand outside, they have to do sort of tailgating thing, you know, people will sit in the stand, they'll have a beer, they'll have a discussion about the game in a way that I don't think is necessarily the same in Scotland. Uh, the other thing, you know, is, is that they, I think they're a lot more accommodating of big matches being on, you know, you get extra trains and trams and public transport to get to the games, which I think is a, a major bugbear for a lot of Scottish fans. I mean, I remember going to uh, Commandant game away at Motherwell, uh, Celtic were at home and Hearts were at Hamilton. There was one train with four carriages on and everybody's going from the Glasgow Central low level and it's, you know, that's the kind of thing that I think puts fans off travelling to games and it's not cheap either. So I think that was a major difference. And um, the other one I think is the real sort of, there are problems with the ultras in Italy as we know, there's problems with violence and problems with racism, but one thing that really uh, positive is how organised they are, how willing they are to sort of uh, make sacrifices, you'd say, for sort of the benefit, as they see it, of the fans. So the, I was at Fiorentina Milan on Saturday night. The Fiorentina fans, and the Ultras in particular, are very unhappy with the Della Valle family that owns the club. So before the game, they had a kind of flash mob protest outside a shoe store they own in the town. And as the game was going on, the Ultras didn't take their seats in the stand. 
they sent eight guys out with a t-shirt with t-shirts spelling out Bergogna, which is Italian for shame, who stood with their back to the game facing the directors so they could read that. And the ultras stayed out down under the stand for the whole first half. You know, they were banging drums and singing, but they weren't in the stadium because obviously then on the TV cameras, you can see big gaps and it's embarrassing for the league, it's embarrassing for the club and it's a way to really put pressure on uh, on the club and on the authorities to do things they want. So it's a couple of years ago. Roman Lazio Ultras had an issue with the stadium. They both refused to attend games all season. Eventually, the authorities had to cave, remove the barriers, which is what they've been complaining about. And I think that's something that Scottish football could really learn from. I think, you know, we're all fans of Scottish football, but you see, you've seen things, Hearts fans taking over the club, and that's to their credit. But you see a lot of issues which affect fans uh, across Scotland in all games, you know, pricing of tickets, for one, is an example. The problem is people still go. You know, nobody will ever take that sort of really direct action of saying, well, we have to make a sacrifice of maybe I'm not going to get to see my football for a couple of months even. But in the long run, it's going to force the authorities to take action uh, to address issues that we really care about. And I think that's something that could really be learned from. I mean, you look at uh, the price of Scotland tickets for the upcoming qualifiers, people complain about it, and rightfully so in my opinion. But people are still going to go to watch, you know, Belgium at home, even if it's not a sellout, there's still going to be a big crowd for that, and it, it gives no incentive for the SFA and the, you know, the stakeholders to make, take any action. Whereas, if this was, for example, in Italy, you might get the ultras would say, right, nobody goes to the game, the stadium would be empty. If Scotland played a European Championship qualifier in an empty Hamden because of ticket prices, you can be damn sure they'd quite quickly take action on that. Yeah, absolutely. What about the um, the safety factor, Gabe? Because quite often I look at Italian crowds and go, yeah, I'm getting a bit old for that nonsense. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick that one out. Did you feel at any time that there was any um, was it getting a bit dodgy or uh, was it was it were you always fully comfortable in your environment there? I mean, I was always pretty comfortable uh, with where I was. I think if you go to certain stadiums, uh, I was at the time with Frankie and Sadio Olimpico, they were fine. I mean, I know the first day I was there, actually, the Gazette del Sport had a headline about the San Siro shaking when uh, big games were on, which doesn't sound entirely <laughs> safe. And there are sort of certain high-profile games where you might be a little bit dangerous. In fact, I am, um, yeah. When I was walking up to the Roma Juventus game, it was only I was about halfway through walking up, and I noticed I was wearing a sky blue and white hoodie, which is the colours of Lazio, and I'm surrounded <laughs> by Roma fans. That's probably the only time I felt a little unsafe. Um, but in general, I think it, I, I certainly didn't notice any issues with with safety. I mean, I was quite close to the Fiorentina ultras, who admittedly were only there for a half, but you know yeah. they had flares and stuff, but they didn't. They weren't thrown. Nothing, you know. Unlike Scotland, some might say uh, no coins or objects were thrown and you do get quite rigorously searched when you go into the stadiums, obviously because they have had big problems with kind of hooliganism in the past. What about um, food and drink? Obviously Italy is famed for its fine wines, its uh, terrific antipasti. What was the stadium fare like? Was it the Italian equivalent of a warm bovril and a half-cooked pie? Well, I think it is much that because I think most Italians wouldn't dream of going to a football stadium to eat. You would eat at home or you would eat at a restaurant before. I mean, so you get the standard things. You get, you know, like sandwiches and uh, hot dogs and stuff. But I think that's because mostly most Italians wouldn't dream of going to a football <laughs> stadium to eat. You know, like uh, there was certainly no pies and there was no bovril because I did check. Although you can have a beer, unlike in, uh, unlike in Scotland, obviously. 
And just before we go, Johnny, there's a bit of uh, transfer news today. Hibs legend Marvin Bartley has signed a three-year contract with Livingston. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think uh, he'll be an excellent signing for Livingston. That's quite a long contract by uh, Scottish football standards, um, but he's a very effective defensive midfield player, and I think he's done an excellent job while he's been at Hibs. Obviously, he was part of the squad that won the the Scottish Cup final, even though he didn't get on in that game, but he was an important member of that team in the run-up to winning that trophy, and certainly an important part of the side that won the, the championship under Neil Lennon. Um, and I think he'll fit in really well in that uh, Livingston side who are highly uh, aggressive and uh, very fit and uh, he's the kind of player that will really, really complement them in that midfield and give them a bit of uh, control as well as a bit of dig. Yeah, I think my main memory of Marvin Bartley actually uh, involves another player. I remember I went to see watch Hibs against Sunderland for Lewis Stevenson's testimonial and at half-time, Lee Catamore came on from for Sunderland and the first thing he did, bear in mind this is a testimonial friendly, he went through Marvin Bartley, studs up about knee height, sparked a 22-man Rami in the middle of the pitch. And I just thought to myself, you know, it's like going to see Barcelona and Messi dribbles past six players and score. Just to see a player like Lee Catermole absolutely take someone out in a friendly. It's just a perfect distillation of the player. Yeah, absolutely. Catamole, he is no nonsense. And uh, an interesting character if you watch that Sunderland documentary. Yes, he certainly so. is. Okay, that's all from us today. We'll be back with you tomorrow, just in time for your mute. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at football underscore Scott. You can follow us on Facebook. If you want to get in contact with us individually, you can contact Johnny at... Johnny R. McFarlane. And I'm at Gary McKay on Twitter. Thanks for listening.